just it didn't work that well for a long time and there were many many moments where i just thought like this is never going to really work or what if this never really works what if i if there's just some fundamental flaw in my thinking and it's just that's why nobody's done this before or gentlemen, boys and girls, wherever you are, whoever you may be, whatever you may be creating, this is the Entrepreneur Now podcast and I am so glad that you are here spreading the creative love with me. All you musicians out there, all you drummers, you're going to be pumped up for this episode because it is beyond anything I've heard as far as a kind of technology and, and the way music is is advancing these days. So it's called sensory percussion and it kind of uses a combination of software and hardware to create an overlay on acoustic drums that turns your kit into an expressive controller for digital sounds. Now it does trigger, but it can also do so much more. And I will let Tlaka L explain that in this interview because he does a much better job uh, than I will considering I'm not a drummer. Uh, But we get into his kind of background, where he came from, and how he got this idea to make this amazing advanced system and the process he actually went through to make it happen because we all go through these insane struggles to try to find you know, what we're kind of here for, why we're, why we're on these surges of creativity. And we all go through just the ups and downs and backbends. And he gets really in-depth with that. He gets into a lot of detail about uh, the situation of where he came from to how he got to where he is now. Then we get into the Kickstarter campaign and, and sort of what ideas popped into his head to make this happen, uh, the structure of it to make it a success. Uh, they have successfully raised over $80,000 towards this project and it's counting. And it's an amazing one. I mean, anybody who does get on board with this drive, I mean, I think you're going to be insanely blown away by the power of this product. So, all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 108, and here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stinkity, stinkity, riggity, diggity beat. Yeah. Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do. I do. Well, get on with your bad selves. Yeah. He is an artist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a musician. He is a badass drummer. With over 14 years of nonstop drumming mayhem experience, he's the founder of Sunhouse, the makers of Sensory Percussion, which is currently being funded through a Kickstarter campaign that has successfully raised over $80,000 up to this point. 
If your ears hang low, you better wiggity wiggity wiggle wobble those bad boys to the front and center for this interview. A skidamarinkity dinkity dink, a skidamarinkity doohoo. Tlaka El Esparza, yoohoo. RV, right. entrepreneur now. What's up, dude? Hey, wow. That was the best intro I've ever gotten, I think. Fantastic. <laughs> well, it's, it's there um, to bring the fist pumps out, man. <laughs> excited to be on, on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, I'm excited to talk to you too. Like, I get I get really pumped up for these episodes because I always get to talk to these amazing people that are doing incredible things everywhere. And like we talked in the pre-chat, I have a a buddy who's a drummer, and and when I sent this over to him and seeing his eyes light up, it really just like solidified what you all are doing because oh, um, great, it's an amazing thing. And I want you to go ahead if you can and just give the audience a rundown of sensory percussion and Sunhouse and what you all are doing with this campaign and the product that you're putting out there because it's it's incredible man it seems to be picking sure. up a lot of steam um yeah thanks um yeah definitely so sen- sensory percussion is a new system that allows you to control electronic sounds and electronic sound environments through acoustic drumming so it's an overlay on acoustic drums um, it's a, a piece of hardware, a sensor that attaches to any acoustic drum. Um, right now we're focusing on drum set drums, so not hand drums, unfortunately, but that might come down the line. Um, and a piece of software that listens to the input from the sensor and can tell where you're hitting the drum and how you're hitting it and has the ability to kind of translate that information to very generic um, and repurposable uh, control signals. So what that means is that you can program whatever sounds you want onto your drums. It's kind of like virtual reality for your drums. You can make them sound really however you want. It's totally up to your own imagination. So you can put just electronic drum sounds onto it and control like many samples on one drum. So you can you know, have the center of the drum be one sample, the edge of the drum be a hand clap, a rim shot be, what? <laughs> uh, you know, you can have like up to 12 sounds on one drum. It's really how, it, it, it scales to however complex you want it to be. Um, so that, that alone is um, already pretty interesting for drummers, I think, because they're used to drum triggers where you can only control one sound. So you put a drum trigger on your drum and you hit the drum and you get one sound out. Um, but with our system, you can get a multitude of sounds out and you can map them to follow your playing in a very natural way. Um, and what, uh, so beyond that, that, um, that already allows you to really kind of very expressively control samples, um, and just sample playback. But beyond that, it, it allows you to control samples in a very continuous and natural way. So you can blend between samples. It knows when you're hitting in between two regions on the drum. Um, it, it really considers the drum a very continuous acoustic object um, as it is. There are no sonic boundaries to a, to a snare drum. You can hit it in any way you want, and you can also kind of find sounds that are in between other sounds. And, you know, that, controlling all the acoustics of an acoustic drum is really kind of at the core of the art of drumming. And so we're really tapping into that and allowing drummers to use that skill and that art form to control electronic environments, which could potentially be very complicated, complex mappings. Um, but the idea is that you can control these very complicated um, electronic setups through drumming, which is a very natural art form. You know, one of the oldest art forms, I'd say. Um, you know, voice and drums were probably the yeah, first ways we were back. making music way back before, you know, prehistory. So um, that's, that's the idea. Um, and so Sunhouse is 
the, this company that we're building. Um, and sensor percussion is our first project, our first product, but we have a lot of ideas beyond that. And it, we're really going for um, trying to create systems that are musically intelligent. And um, it, so the, the purpose of that would be so that musicians are not hampered by technology in the creative process. So we want computers to be able to follow musicians and follow their intent and their musicality and, you know, all the basic things like um, time signature and tempo and things like that, um, but also just understand, understand music on a granular level so that musicians feel like they can really use their full expressiveness to communicate and control electronic sounds. <laughs> My head just exploded, man. <laughs> that's so that's so awesome like you don't i've never seen anything remotely close to this and what it can do like that's that's amazing how how did this idea come about like what for you personally what was your background with music and how did it get to this point where you actually had this idea and, and put it together and made it uh-huh. sure um well i've been a musician my whole life uh before drums i was a pianist so music has always been probably the most central thing about what i what i do um I always knew I was going to be a musician, more or less. Um, and I, when I started playing, uh, I moved to New York in 2003 to play jazz, but I kind of pivoted into indie rock and experimental rock and electronic music. And I started trying to figure out how to integrate all of these electronic processes into my acoustic drums. Because, you know, we'd go into the studio to record and we'd be able to layer sounds and use effects and use synths and all these things. Um, and then we'd go to try to play it live, and it's like, how do we do this? This is I don't have eight arms, and uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's it, it, there's uh, physical um, uh, walls, but then also technological walls. Um, and I really ran up to ran into those walls when I when we tried to. I was in a band, Arms, and and uh, we we wrote an album and went on tour. And the process of trying to figure out how to perform that music live um, kind of really underscored the. The, the limitations of the current technology. So I was using triggers, I was putting piezos on wood blocks and using SPDSs, and, and uh, we avoided using click tracks and backing tracks because that's just not what we wanted to do. Um, so I was like kind of tricking out my drums in these various ways with all of the products out there, but it, 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 you know, in the end I kind of left it behind because it was just too limited and it was very difficult to feel like I was playing the drums. It, yeah. it felt more like I was kind of operating some mach- like machinery, like a, flying a plane or something, instead of kind of the drumming is a very intuitive thing and physical thing. And so there's this jarring difference between hitting a rubber pad and hitting a snare drum, you know? And like, yeah. it's hard to reconcile that. Um, so uh, that, that, that whole thing I just said was... I really came to a head when I, I started playing um, live with Nicholas Jar, who's an electronic musician. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. It's amazing, beautiful electronic music, genreless, uh, expansive. And, and I was a huge fan of his before I played with him. Um, and a lot of his music was, was very inspiring to me from a rhythmic perspective and from a drumming perspective, even though he wasn't a drummer. Um, and so playing, uh, we, we, tr- we, got some, we got a show together and we went to... Europe and um, Japan and Istanbul, um, some few countries, um, and I was playing acoustic drums um, along with some samples and stuff. And it was that was much harder because 
it was very, very difficult for me to fit inside his kind of sonic palette on acoustic drums. I was really limited with how much control I could have over the sounds I was creating. Um, and so it felt really clunky and difficult to, to, to really do what I wanted to do and to really try to play his music in a live way. Um, so that, that, um, that also coincided with me um, getting close to finishing my master's degree at NYU. Um, I took a, lo a, lot of, a long time off in between school um, to just tour and play drums, but I went back to school to study music technology at NYU. Um, and I, there I studied signal processing and music information retrieval and applying machine learning techniques to music, which is a very kind of new budding field. Yeah. Um, so the idea being that we can teach computers to receive digital audio signals and parse them and understand them in the same way that we hear audio. So um, part of that is speech recognition, but then there's also like pitch tracking and beat detection. All these things kind of fall under that umbrella. And um, so using machine learning techniques to kind of solve some of those problems, that was the area of research that I ended up in. Um, and I just started to realize that there, there are new techniques and new research that allow this kind of um, bridge between acoustic worlds and digital worlds that hasn't really been tapped um, and hasn't really been explored and definitely not on the drums. And so I saw a real opportunity to, to kind of solve a lot of my own problems, but then also to kind of uh, deliver the promise of the 21st century to drumming to electronic <laughs> drums, which if you look at the history of electronic drums um, and the advanced, recent advancements, well, there haven't really been many. We're still using triggers and sample pads, and it's really the same paradigm that's been around for a long time. Um, sorry, that was a really long-winded answer, I hope. Uh, <laughs> no, that's what I was, was looking for, man. It's okay. like super detailed, so I love it. And I'll put a, I'll put a link to Nicholas Jar's uh, website in the show notes Cool. Uh, so you guys can get that at artsynow.com forward slash 108. And I mean, I was just thinking like along that process, when you when you decided to develop this product, how long did it take you to go from like idea to actually making it happen? And I mean, and then when you did it, were there any times throughout that where you were just like, I don't think this is going to work? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think it was probably two and a half years ago. I just did a quick proof of concept. Um, where I had like a bongo and a piezo and a bongo, and I wrote some code to try to figure out where I was hitting the drum in yeah. real time. And that that was kind of the foundation, and it kind of stopped there, and I put it on hold for about a year to do other research. Um, but then after I graduated, my brother, um, who's my business partner, um, he was looking for a job and wasn't really enjoying being on the job market. And, you know, he came to me and we decided to do this thing together. I told him about this idea a while ago and I told him that I really wanted to do it. Um, but it wasn't until he decided to partner with me that I kind of had the confidence and the wherewithal to really go forward with it. So that was in March 2014. Yeah, March 2014. And so um, right then I started developing the new kind of the... Uh, the algorithms and the code base that really is what is currently live in the system right now. So it took um, a full year of development and kind of just bare, bare functionality and just it, it didn't work that well for a long time. And there were many, many moments where I just thought like, this is never going to really work or what if this never really works? What if I, 
if there's just some fundamental flaw in my thinking and it's just that's why nobody's done this before or <laughs> <laughs> you know all of those thoughts were it was it was con it wasn't constant but they were persistent um and uh but i had these little windows of of inspiration and bright and like bright spots uh in the code working here and there in certain ways and like figuring out bugs that would like solve certain problems and so there was always progress um and so it it, it that's really kind of what what kept me going was just that i didn't get i didn't stall out uh, indefinitely and um actually a big a really big ingredient to that progress was um us setting real high goals and deadlines for ourselves so we um we we started out by joining the nyu summer launchpad which is kind of like a um, startup accelerator type yeah. thing, uh, incubator program. And that was great because we didn't know how to do a startup really. And they kind of set us up as uh, a real startup and just kind of set our goals and our um, expectations. Um, that was really helpful. Um, and then straight out of that, we got into the New York Next Top Makers program, which is similar, um, but it's a year long program. And they helped us find office space and, um, you know, got us mentorships with some people, um, some very helpful people. Um, so that was great. And then um, in this last spring, we signed up to go to, actually in the winter, we signed up to go to the, uh, the uh, Guthman Georgia Tech um, instrument competition. It's like a new instrument competition where you, you bring, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting designs and it can be very esoteric, um, but you, you bring your new instrument and you perform for a panel of judges and an audience. Um, and we went to that. I, I didn't feel ready. Uh, <laughs> we were scrambling to get the code ready and I didn't have enough time to actually make any music. Like all these people showed up with like fully functional things and with performances all put together. And I, and mine was barely functional and I didn't have a performance and we totally bombed. <laughs> um, it was pretty brutal. But it was a really good experience because after that, I just, it kind of lit, lit a fire under my feet and I just, um, I knew that I had to fix some of these problems. Um, and so after that, I started rewriting a bunch of the code and, um, and then we went to South by Southwest in the, in March Ooh, and yeah. that was the next big thing. And we barely, made, <laughs> we were barely ready for that, but it was, you know, 60% better for that. And it was working well enough for us to actually show it to drummers. So that was a really big goalpost for us. Um, cause we actually had drummers playing it and experiencing it and responding to it and getting their feedback, um, which was a first up until that point, um, so yeah, it's you know setting these these kind of unattainable goals um and then failing <laughs> and then just working through them um is kind of how what our process was um and that's kind of what really sped up the development for us i think yeah i mean it's crazy we get you know we get noticed because of our successes but every single one of them is definitely built on the back of multiple failures and yeah. you, you, like i was thinking today about all the things that i've done and I was just like going through my timeline because a lot of the times we don't think about like uh, a, the literal timeline we went through, like every little thing. If you were to sit down and write down, like, what did you, what did you do like a month before that? You know, you go through it. And I was like, man, I did a lot of stuff that just 
is not around anymore, you know, like it <laughs> failed like crazy, but I think it, it all is a building block to that next step. Yeah. And you know, you get, eventually you get to a point where you do get over those resistance gremlins, as I like to call them, those things <laughs> that want to beat you down when you're trying to get there. And it's amazing to see that, you know, you all, you all did that. You went, you had that big bomb, then you went to South by Southwest. You got all these drummers to actually play it and get real time feedback, which is able to help launch you in the direction that you're in now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you think it was harder to get started doing all that or you think it was harder to get, to keep going? Um, it was pretty hard to get started because I'm, I'm not a professional like software developer by any means. Um, yeah. I, I learned. I took my first programming class in 2011, and it was just a C class, and that was the only programming class I ever took. Um, and I, everything else was kind of self-taught after that. Um, so I knew how to write like a shell script, and how to write an audio callback function, and that's I kind of got by on some very amateur skills for a while. Um, and so turning this like proof of concept thing that was not something we could ever sell into like getting that on the path to an actual product it was not clear and it was very difficult to find that path um and uh you know we we had to find a a developer really to help us so the first few months it was it was a lot i'd say it was a lot harder to get started than to keep going because once we got going it was it was just much more like we have something and let's just keep building from here you know um because we had working demos going like all the all along from back um, since last, you know, July, we had a working demo that kind of worked or at least showed what we were trying to do and the direction we were going in. So I always had something to show, um, even though it was not necessarily a great thing, um, back then. Um, but getting that first working demo going, um, was pretty hard. Um, yeah. And that, uh, that was just on the software side. The hardware side, it was a another, you know, starting a hardware project is very difficult, um, and I, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you can't just, not, I mean, you can do it on your own now more than ever before. But you know, we use three D printers and my very very bad electronic skills, but um, you really need other people to help you with that because you know once you want to build a real circuit with surface mount surface mounting parts and you know, put LEDs on it. I don't know. We needed professional help for that. So um, that was the other big aspect of it. It was like the system relies on this hardware and building that hardware was, it was a really, really big obstacle for us. So what so, did you do to get, to, to find these people that were going to help you? Because I mean, there's, there's so many people that get to a point where they're like, okay, now if we just had help. Oh, I'm sorry. I, lost, I just lost you for a second. Can you um, hear me? Yeah. Yes, I was just saying, what, so what did you do to take it to actually get those people to help you with the hardware? Because there's so many people out there that will say, hey, if we could just get some help, we, you know, we could take this and make it great or we can make it work. But then they they fold at the point of not being able to find any help for it. So how did you yeah. actually uh, get a hold of some people that were willing to help you on this? Um, well, we used Google. <laughs> we actually... <laughs> Bingo. If you, yeah, if you Google like um, custom you know, uh, circuit design, there's like one of the first or second results is that are these guys osmosis in Ohio. And, um, we just kind of reached out to them and they seemed cool. We talked to them and their rates were reasonable and we ended up working with them and it worked out pretty well. And that's their, the circuits that they built are the ones that we're using right now for our demos. And we've, we've since, um, 
hired a different uh, uh, engineer that's local. Um, but they were great. And it was just, you know, maybe getting a little lucky that we found some found a guy that was that worked out for us really well because yeah. they could have easily gone in the other direction. Um, but yeah, it, um, you know, we, there were also these, there's these companies that, that help startups that like want to do hardware projects where like they say, give us 70 to hundred grand and we'll do the entire development process. And we were talking with some of those, but it was very clear to us that we just didn't have the funds to do that. And so we had to figure out how to do it on our own in a way where we could in pay incrementally and kind of manage and you know kind of we it meant that we had to do a lot more work um but it meant that we could do it because we didn't have that kind of money to to just pay somebody to do it all for us so it kind of the the limited resources really forced us to um to really work through it and work on it in this kind of patchwork way where i was doing a lot of work myself we were building all of our you know, enclosures. We had we bought a three D printer that got us a long way. Just yeah. to um, having a, a physical object that could mount to a drum. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did, did I answer that your question? Yeah, for sure, man. So, like, did you get did you get to to kind of? I, I guess because you're a musician, you've been you know in and out of bands and and collaborating with other people. Were you able to use these and get them hooked up to different types of music or different? Uh, types of musicians that you knew just to test them out and get a lot of feedback from? Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, uh, pretty much all the, the first users are friends of mine, um, like Ian Chang and Joe Stickney, um, so the, some of the, and uh, Kieran Gandhi, all the people who are in our Kickstarter video, yeah. um, they're friends of mine. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of musicians, and so I, I really leaned on them. Um, but for a while, it was just me kind of quietly experimenting and you know, sneaking them onto the stage here and there. And um, <laughs> actually, I uh, um, this last March, um, after South by Southwest, and after I kind of got it working to a, a pretty good level, um, I went back out um, and played some shows with Nicholas Jar and kind of kind of redo that whole thing and and uh, use this technology to recreate his music. Um, and it was a completely different experience. And it was actually really amazing to do that because it it just um, kind of verified a lot of the reasons that I had wanted to do the project to begin with is that like, this is, you know, this kind of performance, this kind of level of electronic music performance is now feasible. Um, and that we can recreate these pro studio processes actually on stage in a performance, you know, in a performative way. Um, yeah. You have to so taste the magic. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, you know, I, I built this system, um, to be used, I really want a lot drummers to use it and to do totally insane things with it that I can't imagine. But I, in the end, I really built it for myself, coming from my own needs as a drummer. So um, I, as soon as I could use it on stage, I took on I took it on stage, um, and and I, I've been doing that um, since. Um, I played I play in a few bands. I pretty much use it every time I perform now. <laughs> Well, it's got to be pretty cool to be able to use something that you made. I mean, I guess it probably feels like a part of you, right? <laughs> it's it's like yeah, a baby. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It does feel like feels like a baby. Like, don't touch that. <laughs> no, I, I, I it's it, what's been great is to see how other drummers approach it and use it because um, you know drummers have very unique styles, and uh, what I like about the system is that it's totally adaptable to any a drummer's personal style and can be used in so many different ways. So 
you know, the difference between Ian Chang, who's the, who drums for Sunlux, he's one of my favorite drummers. He's um, jazz trained and he's very dynamic and fluid and has these kind of a certain way of phrasing and of using um, using timbre and uh, in this way that's very familiar to me as a jazz drummer. Um, I like I love that kind of playing and that's kind of very much um, natural to my approach. Um, so I really love seeing him seeing him use the system because um, it kind of satisfies a certain thing that I want to see, um, a certain type of drumming that I want to see um, with sensor percussion. Um, but we've also been working with Greg Fox, who um, is another incredible drummer, but totally different in style. And he has a much more kind of kinetic and trance and kind of uh, just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess tribal in a certain respect um, way of drumming. Um, and he has amazing technique and he, he uses the full range of the drum, but it's in this very, very different way. Um, and so seeing those two drummers use it in these completely opposite ways is, is, is really great because that's, that's what I, you know, in the end, like, I'm glad that I get to use it, but I'm, I'm really much more excited to see what other people do with it. Um, and that's why we wanted to, you know, turn it into a company and I didn't just keep it as my own little project that I, you know, use on stages because I think it'll be much more powerful in other people's hands um, than my own, I think, in the end. Yeah, that's the music of creativity through music, too, and especially when you introduce a tool like this can give somebody, like, a whole other superpower. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it kind of, kind of feels like that um, when you sit behind the kit and have this, this you can wield this huge uh, just kind of force of audio. You know, if you think about acoustic drums, um, they, they occupy the full range frequency range more or less you have your lows and mids and highs um but not in the same way that electronic music does you have you know when you're dealing with electronic digital audio you can create these huge sub bass sounds and control these super high frequencies and you really have this this ability to sculpt the sonic range in a way that's really unnatural and new and amazing and compelling and that's has a lot to do with why electronic music is so popular right now. It's the, 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 those sounds are, have this power over our brain that is kind of undeniable. You know, it, it, the kind of sub-bass that, um, that you hear in electronic music in the natural world that would correspond to, you know, some terrifying natural event or some big terrifying animal or something <laughs> big, you know. Um, but you, with a, a computer and a and a speaker, you can, you know, have this, this amazing control over this, this sound range and have this, ama- this really large impact on people's um, thoughts, really. And so to be able to control that behind the drums now is like this, <laughs> it's like driving a, a new fast car or something, I'm feeling this new kind of power of like um, just control. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really fun. It's the muse, man. <laughs> your muse is doing some wonderful things how did how did the idea come about to do the kickstarter um we we kind of knew that we were going to do that go that route um pretty far back and the last year was really working towards the kickstarter um, you nervous about it yeah yeah we still didn't feel ready when we launched it but we had to we had to pull the button pull the trigger i mean um because i 
am getting married next month, and the Kickstarter had to happen <laughs> before that, and so it pretty much happened at the last minute, the last possible. So it's it's only twenty eight do- twenty eight days long because it ends two days before I get married. So, <laughs> so you won't be up there like hitting refresh while you're like <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but no, so the Kickstarter um, we put a we put a lot of thought into that. You know, we really wanted to get support from the community. We thought that we could get um, a lot of excitement um, pretty naturally just by the nature of the, the what the project was and what, what what we thought drummer how we thought drummers would respond. Um, and the other reason is that it's it it's kind of an abstract thing, sensory percussion, and it's kind of hard to describe to people and especially non-musicians mm-hmm. and especially investors. And so um, if we had tried to go a different route, like just raise money from cap, um, you know, venture capitalists or, or try to find angel investors to do that kind of the development work we needed to do, uh, it, was, it, was just, it was very hard for us to communicate to them what it even mean, what it was and why it was important and why it mattered at all. It was, uh, you know, so it, it was important for us to, to kind of show that there was excitement about it, that people cared about it, that there's traction more or less. Um, and Kickstarter is kind of the perfect vehicle for that because um, that's what it's about. It's about showing um, community support around a thing. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't have big investment. Um, so the Kickstarter for us is a real thing. Like we, we really need that money to move forward. Um, it's not just a marketing, you know, there, there are some companies that have funding and I already have like our development process and a manufacturing thing all set up and ready to go. And the Kickstarter can be just like pre-sales essentially, but that was not our model. Um, and so we were really relying on the community to kind of push this forward. Um, yeah, so that's Kickstarter has been great for that. And it's kind of, I think really what it's for in the end. Yeah. So I've talked to so many people who they've launched they, they could have had an amazing product or an amazing service, whatever they're trying to get support for. And they've launched Kickstarters and, you know, crickets. And then I've talked to people who, you know, had good products or good services again, and they launched them and they were like mega successful. And then some kind of in the middle uh, that, you know, maybe hit their goal, but maybe it wasn't a high goal. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've always asked them like what, what they did to prepare for the Kickstarter. And what I found out is, the people that were successful, I mean, they, they put a lot of work into how they were going to design this thing and, and how they were going to market it and get it out there. So was there anything in particular that you all did that you think like really surged behind your, your ability to, to hit your goal? Yeah. Um, well, when we did that, that, um, NYU summer launch pad, um, they kind of do the, the lean startup methodology. And so the idea is to like really get to know who you're, market it is and go do customer interviews in order to figure out who the people are that you're actually going to try to sell to. Um, and so through that process, it was, it really just confirmed what we kind of knew. We really wanted to aim at professional drummers, um, which, you know, we could have gone the other route of just like making an iPhone app that allows you to play, turn your desk into a drum set. Um, but that we wanted it to, we wanted to put it in the hands of professionals so that people would actually make music with it and it would become, you know, have a real musical impact. And that was um, really important to us. So we knew that we were going after professionals and that 
fed into how we design the hardware and how we're designing the software and then also ultimately how we're describing it to people and and who and and the way in which we try to communicate it you know um it's really designed for making music in in a very you know um in you know we want amateurs and everybody to to use it and it's and it's very accessible um in that regard but you know we want um professionals to really get on board and so preparing for the kickstarter that was you know knowing who you're trying knowing who your target market is is pretty important um and so um you know we we did we were we could have had more time to prepare for the kickstarter i think we we were pretty late in getting everything ready we we hired a pr person like kind of last minute um and she had a hard job of kind of scrambling to get us ready to go but um there by that point we had already um talked to a lot of professional drummers um and so we had been doing demos and uh, um private demos and public demos and just trying to talk to and show it to as many drummers as we possibly could um to try to build that kind of grassroots excitement around it mm-hmm. um and so going into the Kickstarter, that support from those people was, was really helpful because we launched it and we knew that we had real drummers who knew a lot of drummers who were really excited about it. Um, and I think that was pretty, pretty important. Um, and then we, we also got some, some nice press. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where like, if nobody knows about it, nobody's going to support it. So like you have to put in the work to try to make sure people know about it. And that's the, that's the thing that's really hard about going into a Kickstarter, especially if you haven't done one before like us, um, was just like, are we doing this right? And is anybody going to know about it when we push the go button? Um, so I think, you know, uh, having PR for a Kickstarter is pretty important um, and can, can really meet, make the difference. Um, and also just making sure that you're on the ground trying to get the word out to the people that... Um, care you know yeah for sure dude yeah I mean, what's the link to your your kickstarter if i put them in the show notes i mean i can i can paste it in the show notes but is there like a short link people can get to it by yeah um let me just double check i think it's bitly.com slash sunhouse dash kickstarter uh yeah that works so bitly.com slash sunhouse dash kickstarter um also you can go to our website which is just simply sunhouse it's a swedish domain so it's sunhow.se it's kind of hard to explain over (laughs) air (laughs) but it it kind of just worked out um, and it looks cool to us so yeah Yeah, we'll link all those in the show notes okay you guys can pop on there and even if you're on itunes you can just tap on the cover and they should be linked in there as well Cool. Talk high L. I, I want to know from your like just you as a dude, like who are some of your creative influences as like musicians or drummers or in the electronic space? Because I'm gonna check them out like immediately. Okay. Um well the I feel like the jazz drummers who I idolized before I moved into New York uh, still have a big impact on drumming for me, um, and my approach to drumming and my thoughts on drumming. So people like Brian Blade and Nasheed Waits and Tony Williams and Elvin Jones, um, those guys. Um, you know, Brian Blade and Nasheed are still playing. They play all the time. Um, Marcus Gilmore is another amazing one. Um, and it's kind of those, that, that form of drumming is really kind of 
where my musical mind kind of aligns as far as drumming goes. Um, that kind of, to me, that's like the height of the art form in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I play is pretty different. I play a lot of pop music and electronic music and I have a very different approach, but it's still like when I think of just the purity of that, of that form of drumming, it's, it, it doesn't get any better for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of electronic music and hip hop. I really like Nicholas Jar, who I've already mentioned, um, I also like Caribou and Jamie XX, that kind of electronic music. Um, I really like Actress, who's a little bit more ambient. Um, And I like Kendrick Lamar a lot, but I'm sure you've heard of him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, I used to be be obsessively listening to different new things and buying records all the time. Um, But I kind of have tapered off and just i don't know my my musical consumption has has shifted um <laughs> after working on this project because it's just so consuming You've been focused yeah 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 I um, what you mean man but so i'm open to, suge- <laughs> to suggestions to new things to hear um, like i, I used like to I do nothing but absorb myself with just massive amounts of music and now i've gotten to a point where i've kind of plateaued and just yeah you know i keep going back and there's a lot of stuff I still, I mean, I, I listen to music constantly, but it, it's not like I'm mm-hmm. constantly looking for new stuff. Um, mm-hmm. when it hits yeah. My ears, I'm like, Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've really fallen back on my like record collection, like, you know, Brian, Eno and yeah. talking Heads and stuff like that. Um, and my old jazz records too, miles records. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with Brian, Eno and David Byrne. So nice. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, it's, when you were talking about the jazz drumming, that's pretty sweet because, like, what I've noticed from a lot of my musician friends is they always take it back to that core. Of, like, no matter what type of music they play, they're like, well, you know, I like to play the jazz or, like, I train in jazz. And it doesn't have to just be drumming, but, you know, in any kind of instruments. And I've noticed that a lot of people put that as, like, the pillar if you can play the jazz music. And, I mean, I love jazz, um, but you wouldn't think that it would – I guess if if you're not – a musician, you wouldn't think that it would be like the most, you know, intense pillar of, of actually playing music. Oh yeah. Even like it Danny, is. you know, Danny Carey, the tool drummer, he uh-huh. plays in a jazz band, like in Does? LA, like clubs. Yeah. On the side. I didn't know that. I used to be obsessed <laughs> with Danny, cool tool and Danny Carey in high but school. Yeah. I still like them. Yeah. Um, my, my buddy says that he, like he lives out there in Ventura and goes down to LA and he's, he definitely has a band that he plays in all the time out there. So that's funny. I want to go see that. <laughs> I can't I think of a name. Figure that out. If I, I'll ask him and then if he tells me, I'll shoot it over to you. Via email yeah. Or something. I, I live in a, I grew up in LA, so I go back there every once in a while. Just check it out. Oh, did you? Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Jazz music is, is one of those things that is, it's so at this point it's like, particle physics i mean the way that some dudes can play now it's 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 beyond me uh, at this point as a musician and uh i kind of and and, you know it it is also a little bit insular um and i have kind of a tortured relationship with it a little bit i kind of left jazz intentionally for a number of reasons Mm -hmm. um and you know it's true that jazz music is and jazz drumming is like a, a pinnacle of skill and mental acuity and kind of musical form. Um, but it doesn't mean that if you're one of those dudes, you can play indie rock or electronic music or pop in general, because that's a different thing. And like, it took me a long time to kind of 
unlearn my jazz tendencies when I started playing rock music. And that was also very important to my kind of development of, you know, and like kind of my ideas of how I wanted to form my musical life was kind of unlearning jazz and leaving it behind in a certain way. Um, so there's that side of it too. It can be, can, can be a different thing. <laughs> it's a whole other animal, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Hey, if you had to battle Godzilla, how do you think you would use your creativity or your talents to defeat that big, crazy bastard? Wow. Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> wow. Uh, my, <laughs> that's a hard one. Godzilla. I've never, never considered such a situation. Oh, um, let's see. I would, I would, uh, I would make him, I would, I would, uh, hook up the pavement to sounds and make him scare himself with his own, <laughs> with his own, uh, his own drumming, his madness. own percussive madness on the streets. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good image. I see like an amazing gif image of that. Yeah, it would be all 80s, like, Simmons sounds. And then, you know. (laughs) For sure, man. Well, cool, dude. I really appreciate coming on. It was fun. I just sent you that link to the... um, So it's like like a progressive jazz-type music, and it's very experimental stuff. But the band's called Valto. They have an album out, apparently, now. I'm going to have to listen to it also. Um, But, yeah, dude, I appreciate it. Is there any other place that the listeners can find you or get in contact with you if they need to or have any questions, anything like that? Yeah, um, contact at, sun, at Sunhouse. That's just the word contact at sunhow.se, which is our domain. Um, that pretty much goes straight to me and my brother. Um, so that's a good good way to do it. Um, or just on Instagram and Twitter because we're on that constantly. For show. Sure. Yep. Tweeting away, dude. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool, man. Well, everybody out there, seriously, get off your booties and do something crazy. Do a little boogie woogie. Uh, Run around outside with your pants down if you want. Do some fist pumping. I mean, just do something out of the ordinary because you only have one life and you should definitely try and live your life right now like you would want to live the same life all over again. Uh, Don't sit in the cubicle and and feel trapped. You can be better than that. You You can actually find that amazing uh, surge inside of yourself to do something awesome like Talk L is doing. So, dude, thanks again for being the entrepreneur now. <laughs> thanks for having me. Always remember to keep it super funky, man. All right, I will. There you have it. That was Talk L Esparza. I'm really sorry if I didn't pronounce that 100% correct. I cannot roll my tongue correctly. If you haven't already, go check out that Kickstarter campaign. No, I'm not an affiliate for this. I just think it's an amazing product. Um, If you go to the show notes at artsynow.com forward slash 108, there will be a link there. Or you can check out their website at sunhou.se. So sunhouse, but it's sunhou.se. So chickity, 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 check that out. And as far as the rest of your day, remember to do something crazy every single day, but, but be, be humble, like be thankful for everything that you have around you because all of it might not always be there. Uh, don't take anything for granted. You know, our time is limited, so make sure you do live your life in the best way possible. Um, 
every day is a bonus round, so slow down and just enjoy something beautiful. And remember that a true life of magic is not one that is filled with massive amounts of money, right? Money's not going to solve your problem. A true life, a true magical life, is one that you can live on your own terms with no strings attached. Until next time, ta-ta. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Arch of Her Newer Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music? Well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.